matter? Is something wrong out here? We're fighting a war, Sam. A war? Against who? Against birds. I'm glad you all think this is so amusing. Frightened the children half out of their wits. If the young lady said she saw the attack at a school, why don't you believe her? Welcome to Out of Theaters, the podcast that reviews the movies of yesteryear, this year. My name is Billy Culpa, here with my good friend and film critic, Will Pfeiffer. Will, hello. Billy, how you doing? I'm, I'm here. You're here. This week's movie is The Birds, but first, have you seen any good movies lately? You know, I have seen a few good movies lately, and these are movies that uh, actually have a slight connection to our movie for tonight, which of course is directed by Alfred Hitchcock. I watched two movies, one is called The Black Coat's Daughter. One is called I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. And both of these movies were directed by a man named Oz Perkins, who happens to be the son of Anthony Perkins, the star of Psycho. I believe these are both on Netflix, I think. And they are very, uh, uh, the term you might use is a slow burn kind of a movie. They're not fast paced. They're not jump scary movies. But both of them generate a real sense of kind of like something ominous is happening. It's kind of creepy. There are things we don't understand going on. Um, the Black Coat's Daughter is sort of a more traditional movie in that there's like some sudden violence and everything. I'm the Pretty Thing That Lived in the House is a lot more subtle where it's one character and she's either losing her mind or there is a ghost in the house or maybe a combination of the two. But I was really impressed by both these movies. They look great. They have strong uh, performances, uh, mostly female-focused performances. You said these were both uh, Anthony Perkins' kid. You said Oz? Oz Perkins, So are these modern movies? The Black Coat's Daughter came out in 2015, and I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House came out in 2016. Oh, I mean, these are brand new. They're brand new. Yes, and he is working on, I, I think it's done, but it hasn't come out yet. He is working on Hansel and Gretel. Are these are these like Blumhouse movies? Are these? I know I've read that a lot of times newer directors get into movies, get into horror. I'm sorry because it's it's easy and cheap, and usually the profit to cost is almost always. Worth You're not it. wrong. I mean that's, but I don't know if that's the case here. I mean these movies are real. I mean, you know, there's some good Blumhouse movies and some bad Blumhouse movies, but these it's seen. I mean these are really almost more dramas than horror movies. Although there's definitely a, a horrifying angle to it but um i don't know i get the feeling he really he really cares about these movies they're meticulously made small casts sort of very like spare locations like the one takes the i'm the pretty thing that lives in the house is about a a young woman who's a nurse for a dying writer a very old woman who barely speaks through the whole movie and sort of how the the past and possible ghosts affect her and the other one is about some girls staying in a a school when everyone else has gone home over the winter and one of them is maybe losing her mind or something. And, and it's how it goes from there. But, but how, how do you even hear these movies? My wife heard about them she, uh, a while ago when she was home one day and no one else was around. She had heard about this. I'm the pretty thing that lives in the house, which is loosely based on Shirley Jackson, who was a horror writer. Well, she was a writer, but she wrote some horror stories. The Lottery. She wrote the lottery. That's, that's right. One of my favorite all-time short stories. That's right. And and Amy, my wife is she's fascinated by Shirley Jackson. She's read some some uh, biographies of her, and she's read a lot of her stories. And this story was kind of inspired by her, or based on her. I honestly can't remember the details, but 
she watched it and she loved it. Yeah. And so we were just looking for something to watch and something that we could watch with Allie that wasn't too gory or, you know, yeah, too yeah, R-rated. Yeah. And, and you, so, have, you have this whole thing where you're trying to bring your daughter into your world. Exactly. I'm yeah, trying nice. to corrupt her as I've been corrupted. <laughs> but so we watched that and we really liked it. And then we looked to see if his other movie was around and The Black Coat's Daughter which I believe came out first, but was put onto Netflix second. Okay, is out. So we love that. I'm looking forward to this Hansel and Gretel thing he's got coming out. So, um, two quick anecdotes. One, I, th- I think you're making your daughter an impossible girl to date in the future because I was an impossible guy to date. Every, obviously, every guy she meets is not going to have any idea whatever movie she's talking about. That's, you know? Well, welcome to my world. <laughs> I, so. I understand, but but yeah, here's the do you thing. like that? Do you like that world? When she meets that special person, like when I met Amy, then she'll know. I saw a good tweet that said, "I'm going to get the word Helvetica tattooed in my arm on my arm in Ariel." And the first girl to recognize that it's wrong, I'm going to marry. There you go. There's a good, that's good. That may be, that's a lot sadder than what we're talking about with me. <laughs> no, then the second, the second point I wanted to make is the lottery is the first time I recall enjoying college. Where I was like, I was in the class, it was like a postmodern fiction class. And you're just like, why am I, what am I doing? Like, I have to go to this dumb class for a, I'm not going to be in English anything. You know, what do I care? And I remember reading the lottery and being like kind of into it and like excited to go to class and talk to the teacher about it. All, all that postmodern, like the swimmer, the lottery, um, the misfit. I don't think I've read the misfit. The, about the the family who goes through like the South. It's like an American Gothic tale where there's like a serial killer out and well, whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter. There's a great episode of The Simpsons, early episode where uh, lottery fever grips Springfield and everyone goes out to buy the copy of the lottery thinking it has tips. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a there's like a montage. Or Homer's reading the lottery, and then the newscaster says it, and you see him throw it into the fireplace. I think that short story is a good man is hard to find. That's uh, Flannery O'Connor. I yeah, yeah. The misfit. I think that's what that's called. That's yeah. That's it. I right, haven't read that. But anyway, so those are two good movies: uh, The Black Coat's Daughter and I'm the Pretty Thing Lives in House. Both on Netflix, so you have no excuse not to watch them because I'm sure you have Netflix. Uh, we had some reader questions you solicited a couple weeks ago, and maybe we should do a quick explainer. Uh, we've we've been trying to go every week on this right. show. I just I got caught up in work. It's been a busy time. Sorry. Uh, we do have some bonus content to release. We with do this, a so. big bonus content. Do you, you want to talk about that at all? Well, we're going to talk about the birds tonight, Hitchcock's uh, 1963 movie. But Billy and I actually watched the birds and recorded an entire commentary track, so you can. Pop the birds into your player wherever you get it. Cue it up and hear us yap through the whole movie. And it's the thing about the birds is it's like two solid hours. It's long. It's and, not a short movie. And I will say this about Billy and I because I've listened to a lot of commentary tracks because I'm a complete nerd. A lot of those tracks have long dead spaces. We, we never stopped. We never shut up once. <laughs> so you get your money's worth for this free commentary. Here's track. the thing about that. That whole process too is one. I think we made a mistake when we did it. We that's the first time. I mean, I went into the, that movie, that commentary track is me watching the birds for the first time. Yeah. To be fair, I saw it once twenty years ago. I don't remember a thing about it. You know, uh, I think that's a mistake, and we shouldn't do that again. I, I like probably the, not. Yeah. I like the idea of like capturing the essence of the podcast, but after a while, I was just like, shut up, man. And like, this was the first commentary track we've done. Right. So yeah, we uh, set ourselves some barriers. Plus, 
Well, no spoiler alert, but when you when we get into the discussion of the birds, the birds isn't the most fast paced movie. <laughs> and then two, uh, uh, you can't edit a commentary track. No, you can't. You can't take stuff out or you switch can. It I guess if or... you hear a long track of silence, that means I or Will probably me said something embarrassing and we're erasing. But it. I don't think that happens. I don't think so. Because frankly, after that, nobody wants to sit no. there and listen to what we. I mean, we don't. You will, of course, because we're endlessly enlightening. Do you want to get to any of these reader questions before we talk about the birds? Let's do a few. Let's see. Um, and again, I apologize because these are a little dated now, but... Um, it's like 10 days old. It's it's a podcast. Know, People are... Know. Whatever. Snappy. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dan asks, have either of you not finished a movie? Thinking back now, I remembered a friend and I once walked out of Star Trek Insurrection. I watched all of Star Trek Insurrection once, so... Uh, I, that didn't kill me. I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie theater. I never have. I came close in Ghostbusters 2 for some reason. I just wow. didn't. That sounds like you being 20 and taking some principled stand. Like, oh, uh, this, I, this doesn't live up to the original. I just thought it was terrible. I, when Amy and I, this isn't me, but when Amy and I went to see Brokeback Mountain in the theater, there was an old couple who walked out of that. And I'm thinking, didn't you know what this movie was yeah, about? Yeah, how do you know what you're not Because we didn't see it opening night. It's like, come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's if it's been out for a while, I had to convince, everyone knew what it was about. At that I had point. to convince some friends not to walk out of Cloverfield. Uh, uh, you know, Cloverfield. I know a lot of people did because of the motion sickness. Well, thing. it wasn't. They were just because Cloverfield was one of those like phenomenon movies where it, it's know. a fine movie. It's whatever. Oh, yeah, it's fun, but it had a lot of hype. Yeah, and I think that my friends went into that going, "This what, what this isn't that good." Yeah, but no, I can't recall. I mean, frankly, when we did the old podcast, uh, the old version of this this show. There was a couple of a man where I just like skipped the last 20 minutes where I was like, all right, I've put my two hours in or whatever. And I, this, I have an opinion already. And this movie is not for me. I took my wife to see Boogie Nights when we were dating fairly early on in the relationship. And I think she wanted to walk out at that point, but I drove. <laughs> so, you know, she couldn't get home. We have, um, before we get to the next question, I, I want to ask people to rate and review us on iTunes. I want to put that at the top of the show instead of the back. We are up to 17. I have a, the most recent one we got is from a guy named Sal. Sal? I know Sal. With an exclamation point? Yes. <laughs> Sal! Who I don't know. He says, Will and Billy make a great duo for movie talk. Will is very knowledgeable about movies and film history, while Billy offers a unique perspective. Some might say ignorant. See, like Sal, to, a wise man. I like to call it unsullied. <laughs> which I appreciate. Sal seems like a good cat. I like this guy. He's a good guy. And he is a longtime podcaster. The man knows his podcast. Seriously, though, I really enjoy listening to these friends debating the finer points of older movies. They always give me something new to think about. Even with some movies, I have seen a dozen times or more, which is the whole point. Yes. So thank you for that wonderful review. Please go to iTunes and find out of theaters and leave us something nice so we can we'll read on there next week. Will what, we? Will we really? I'm, I'm going to keep it. It's my bit. So <laughs> it's quite a bit you've got going. <laughs> What's the next question? Uh, let's see. If you were forced to turn a TV series into a movie, which would you pick? I don't know. I would like to go the maybe the other way. Um, I, I and I think it's coming out, but I don't know what the it keeps changing. I want to see the stand. As like a long form HBO, like I think not, it's coming. It's something CBS All Access is doing something, and They're I've doing, seen it's I've a mini series casting, but I don't know if it's yeah. like three episodes or uh, if it's going to be something they try to stretch into like. I'm sure they'll one, stretch it into two. as long as they can. But like, I'd love to see the stand as like a, a Chernobyl type of, you know, like serious drama, four or five parts. I don't know. I mean, that doesn't I, really even. <laughs> I'm not saying it's wrong, but that doesn't go near the question. Well, the question is: Would you, you want, want to, to turn a TV series into a movie? And you're saying I'd rather turn this book into a TV uh, series? Well, no, 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 no. It's it's already a series, and it wasn't good. It wasn't good. It was Although Gary Sinise, you know, I like him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> good old Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> um, let's see. Is there a movie trope that just never or always works for you? 
this is our old friend Mike Weiser. I never got the body swap comedies, even though some of them are well liked, like big. What about you guys? Anything you just don't get, even though it's undeniably popular? Well, the Joker, but that may just be me. He was still fuming about that movie before this recording two weeks ago. I'm not fuming about it. It's now the most popular R rated movie ever, the box office champ. Or at least most profitable, right? right or most, or profitable, most earnings, yeah. maybe, you know. I don't know. I mean, he's right. Those like Freaky Friday yeah. type of. I, I mean, Big's a good movie though, but is know. it? I, I, I think I think any trope you can. Well, I'm sure I'm going to be proven wrong on this, but virtually any trope, if you do it right, it'll you know. Yeah, there's you know there was a whole thing about um, the Chosen One kind of around the time Lego Movie came out, around the time Force Awakens came out, right? Like, like that, the Matrix. I mean, yeah, Star Wars, yeah, Harry Potter. The, it's where it's you know, it's a little played out. I guess, you know, so well, but that, that does make me roll my eyes now when you kind of get hints of, oh, it's destiny. It's like, okay. But you yeah. love Lord of the Rings and that's a... I do big, love Lord of the Rings. That's a big chosen one movie. Is it? Yeah. Frodo's got the ring. He's got to run it up the mountain. Frodo's not the chosen one at all. I think you're completely wrong about that. Frodo's not the chosen one. He's like a hapless, I guess I'll just have to do this because there's nobody else. But that's what every chosen one is. No. Uh, like yeah. Neo has to do it because he's they the They literally one. call him the chosen one. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying they spray paint the chosen one on the character every movie. Lord but... of the Rings, the whole time, they're like, I'm really sorry, Frodo. <laughs> you got to do this. This. Why does he have to do it? Why was he... Was he... <clears throat> chosen perhaps to do it <laughs> i gotta go guys it's, it's been fun recording until next time <laughs> next question michael versus freddie versus jason which seems halloween appropriate oh yeah this is this is still october i mean i would think freddie i guess because he's like magical yeah freddie's got sound bites well, yeah, he does. That's true. Neither of the other ones talk at all. There was a time, I was, I don't know, 10, when Freddy in uh, The Dream Warriors, I think it's Nightmare on Elm Street 3. That would be three. Mm-hmm. Picks up the blonde girl and puts her head through a TV yep. and says, welcome to primetime, bitch. You know, <laughs> I, was, I know. I thought it was mind. hilarious too, but you watch it now and you're no, just I'm like, sure this is terrible. terrible. Yeah, no, but it's Freddy. It's clearly Freddy. I think it's probably Freddy. The other, I've recently rewatched parts of i recent i just recently watched all of halloween parts of nightmare on elm street and I'm, i stumbled across one or two of the friday the 13th and i don't know i mean i like the i'm friday not a huge 13th. fan of any of them i gotta be honest i like the camp counselor vibe thing like that seems appropriate i like that but i don't know the freddy's a better villain yeah okay you um, want to talk about this week's movie let's talk about the bird back in your gilded cage melanie daniels what did you say? I was merely drawing a parallel, Miss Daniel. How did you know my name? A little birdie told me. Uh, like I said, 1963, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, it takes place in Bodega Bay, California, Northern California. Is that a real place? It is a real place. Okay. Uh, Melanie Daniels, played by Tippi Hedren, making her screen debut. Uh, she's like a rich socialite. She sort of meet cutes. Um, a guy named Mitch Brenner, a lawyer who's played by Rod Taylor, uh, at a pet store. He's looking to buy some lovebirds for his uh, younger sister's birthday. And they kind of have, you know, they kind of annoy each other, but you can see the little romantic spark. So she decides she's going to take the lovebirds and go surprise him at his home in Bodega Bay, which is up the coast a bit. So she goes up there. Um, she gives him the birds, uh, meet the daughter, meet the mother. The mother's a little kind of... Weird about the whole thing. She, there's a you know typical Hitchcock weird mother. Not as weird as Psycho, but uh, but up there. Yeah, yeah, you know, and she's like resents the new woman coming in to take her little Mitchie away or something. Um, 
And then Melanie, she meets um, sort of Mitch's old girlfriend or a woman who loved Mitch. Annie. Annie, Annie, played by Suzanne Plachette. Uh, She stays over there that night. Everything seems very normal for a long time until birds... uh, It starts with a seagull attacking Melanie and then gradually birds and more birds and more birds are attacking everyone until... The movie sort of ends in a bird apocalypse. Yeah, it's that's it, right? I mean, you they, they leave, and there's just birds there's everywhere. There's birds and, everywhere, and the birds know. are like, we got all the time in the world, morons. <laughs> we rule it now. And plenty of worms. Plenty of worms, yeah. So uh, it's essentially, uh, I don't know if you call it a romantic comedy, but a romance for a while, and then it becomes a disaster movie, and the disaster is birds. <sighs> Billy didn't like this movie. I, didn't, I hate this movie, but let me, let me ask you, I... I while you're while you're on the roll here, what do you think of this movie? Um, I I mean I have a certain affection for all Hitchcock movies, but this is definitely not one of my favorite Hitchcocks. There's things I like, but um, it's uh, it's not you know it's not of its top. I was looking, at, I was thinking about it, and um, I would say that. Here's some Hitchcock movies I like more than The Birds. You sent me this list. You don't have to read them all because there are a lot. There are a lot. I'm just going to whip through them. Psycho, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Shadow of a Doubt, Rear Window, Rope, Frenzy, The Wrong Man, Sabotage, Saboteur, The Lady Vanishes. Um, wow, Sabotage and sab- Saboteur. Saboteur, I think, yeah. And maybe was there... There were a couple others that I can't even think of, but... I think the point is made, though. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's there's good things about it, but it's not... Yeah. There's so... The parts of this movie that are good, I thought were really good. Uh, I, I enjoyed. I thought. I thought like the the meat cute, if that's what we're gonna call it. Mm-hmm. I, on our director's commentary, I was watching that without sound, and I thought like this is so bizarre. Like, she's going so far out of her way. She meets this guy. She's a liar. She's the whole movie. Tippy Hedren, M- Melanie, is a liar. She just lies about almost everything. Right. Uh, she's like some rich person. She just doesn't. She's a socialite. Yeah. She's she's like the the Paris Hilton type of her day. I mean, okay. she is like she's in the yeah. she's in, the movie says she's in the gossip rag. She uh, got pushed into a fountain in Rome naked, and she's like, and they they sort of he had seen her before because she was in court for some practical joke that she did that they don't go into detail about, but she did something practical like a jokey enough that got landed her in court. And he's a defense attorney, a criminal defense attorney, right? So he recognized her from court, and he kind of lets her go along with her lie. She pretends that she's selling him a bird, and he lets her just walk right into it. Yeah, and. I, I thought it's a little long. Everything about this movie, every single scene in this movie is like 30% too long. I, he just, does he not have an editor? I, I don't know if like Psycho yes, was such, such a hit that, you know, you don't get to stand up to Hitchcock anymore. Well, you probably never really. I mean, yeah. at, at that point, you didn't stand up to Hitchcock. But damn, dude, like. And people had longer attention just, spans back then. I get, but, but just get to the point, you know. But uh the, most of the stuff that I, I, my first passing of this movie, because you know, I essentially watched it twice for the podcast. I got, I got over some of the stuff that I didn't like at first. Like, I, I appreciate it. it's, it's well crafted. Even, even some of the like, some of the special effects don't quite work. I mean, they, I mean, they're, they're, but the efforts there, but and and I w- it's fine. Yeah, I would agree, and I, th- and I agree with you. Some of them don't work, but I think for a movie made in 1963. More of them work than you would think. That's that I agree. Yeah. I agree. So and I'm not. So I, I don't want to sit here and say this movie sucks. The special effects suck because I don't. I don't feel like that. But I think the parts that didn't work for me, like extremely, didn't work. Mm-hmm. And it, a couple of them. And these are. This is a very unfair sort of like shoot from the hip oh, yeah. complaints. But there, there's a scene at one point where things have started to go bad. Birds attacked a school. Right. Right. And the, the um, Melanie took 
uh, Mitch's younger sister. Yes. And by uh, the way, Kathy. That's weird because Mitch looks 40 years old and Kathy looks 13. Kathy. Angela Cartwright, by the way. So she just, there's a huge age difference. And the mom's like 60. And there's just a, it's very bizarre. I don't understand, but whatever, right? I don't care. Uh, they take her to a diner. And that scene should be great. It's it's very, uh, and obviously it came first, but it, it's very um, mist like. Mist like. Right? Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that one Stephen King movie. But there's this creepy feeling there's there's like the the sort of uh hysterical religious woman right and actually in this case it's the drunk religious guy right, uh, right sort right. of who reminded me a lot of the jaws guy it's robert shaw yeah. Yeah, yeah like just you know that's ah, the end of the world yeah. <laughs> with the, like the weird ac- accent and it, it's it should have worked it's the end of the world Thus saith the Lord God unto the mountains and the hills and the rivers and the valleys. Behold, I, even I, shall bring a sword upon you, and I will devastate your high places. Ezekiel chapter 6. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink. Isaiah chapter 5. For some reason, Hitchcock decided, while all the townspeople are panicking about, man, these birds attacked a school, and is this a real thing, and whose fault is this? Well, I happen to be a bird expert, and let me tell you all oh, about birds. She smokes a good cigarette, though. She, and she, she's actually a really good actor. Yeah. I, I enjoyed her, but while I'm watching it, I'm going, this is a farce. Like, it's so, what are you thinking? Uh, 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 what does she call herself? What's uh, an or- orna- or- ornithologist? An ornithologist. She said, like, I happen to be an ornithologist in this remote village town 40 miles from <laughs> San Francisco. There's a lot of seagulls up there, I it's guess, maybe. so dumb. I hardly think that either species would have sufficient intelligence to launch a mass attack. <laughs> their brain pans are not big enough to be. I just came from the school, madam. I don't know anything about their brain pans, but... Well, I do. I do know. Ornithology happens to be my avocation. Besides being a, like on the boring side of movies, I'm not saying it's a boring movie, but... Well, parts of it are boring. Parts of it are boring, which I think is, you know, a pretty traditional criticism of this movie. But besides that, there's just too many parts where I'm like, it's just comical. Uh... At the tail end of that diner scene, when when it hell just it just all goes to hell. Uh, so, uh, how, why is there a stream of gasoline? And this isn't a criticism; I just can't remember. Because there's a guy pumping gas, and or no, no, there's a, a guy. Birds attack his car, or, or something. Some, another guy got knocked out, and so the gas is flowing, and the guy doesn't see it under his. So then there's the other guy. So first off, guy number one spills some gas, and it's like a pump is spewing just a line of fuel yeah. down the road because it's then, on a little hill. The next guy standing next to him is just like, dum, 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 I'm going to light my cigarette. And then when I people know. yell at him, he looks at them and he goes, what? And then he like comically drops his cigarette in the fuel line. But when he blows up, it's pretty great. It's a great effect, yeah. but it is so stupid. It's like for, for a person, for Hitchcock, right? Like my whole life, Hitchcock is like the, the king of horror. He's the, what, what's, he's got nicknames. He's a director with the nicknames, right? Like well, for such a big deal, it just felt like somebody should have said, all right, come on, Hitch. Like, let's do a little better job here, Al. Come on. Al? I don't think anyone ever <laughs> I, called I know, him Al. Like, there's just bits of it. That being said, uh, you know, it didn't ruin the movie or anything for me. I just, we, we've watched Psycho for this podcast before. This is just not yeah, as good. Yeah, I love, it's just I, mean, not as good. I think Psycho's, Psycho's like one of my top 10 favorite movies ever. Uh, I'm glad I watched it. I don't think I'll ever watch this movie. Yeah, yet. I can see that. And, you know, um, I love, there are parts of it that I think really work. Like, there's a couple the uh, the scene when they attack the school when Melanie's out back and she's smoking and they show a crow land and she looks up and sees it and they show another crow land on the monkey now there's bars. Three. There's three and then Hitchcock focuses on her 
And it's like in your head, you're like, go back, show us the monkey bars. Show, And he doesn't, he doesn't. And then when you see a crow flying and she looks and you follow the crow and when it lands, there's like hundreds of them. That, that worked, except he cuts like four times, you know, just tighter tighter man like no see now this is what i agree this movie could be tightened but not everything if you tighten it too much you lose all the effect you here's the one thing you seem to think a movie should be most concerned about getting from point a to point z as fast as possible no, no i don't i don't i just think that sometimes like we're newspaper people we're journalists you so I. what editors are good people we need them no we don't always need them this podcast needs an editor <sighs> and yes, you i would yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's what we need. Well, you're the editor, so if I'm not on it, you know who to blame. Um, what did you think of performances? Uh, uh, the, the the four or five, I guess, key characters. Melanie, um, who I didn't realize this was her first movie. First movie. Hitchcock discovered her. She was a model. She's real good. Yeah. Real good. She's like, Melanie Griffith's uh, mother, the actress Melanie Griffith, who and who was named for her character in this movie. That's the, the golden nugget that you're going to get in our director's commentary track. That's right. You're going to get a lot. Of, you're going to find out who her granddaughter is, too, in the commentary track. Tell me, I mean, what what did you, um, how do you think she did? I mean, I think she's good. I think she, it's interesting because you're really not supposed to like her that much. You know, she's very, she's that Hitchcock icy blonde. I mean, Hitchcock yeah. was known for that. You know, he, Princess Grace, or Grace you know, before she was Princess Grace, she was Grace Kelly in Rear Window. And then you have Fear Miles and um, Janet Lee. They were all sort of these kind of, these blondes that were a bit distant, you know, a bit uh, not the warmest women. And it's it's interesting seeing that in a movie because so many other movies of the era really, they wanted you to just fall in love with everybody. Yeah, and they, they do put the damn, like... <laughs> Vaseline lens, blurry filter yeah. on her virtually every shot. Which she's, she's I don't know why. I mean, she's young. She didn't need that. I don't know stuff. why. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's interesting because you're right. Where they would typically make, you know, you're supposed to like the character. She she is kind of She unlikely. remains, yeah. But she is really clever. Mm-hmm. She's got one-liners. And like, when he finally, she at one point she writes a letter to Mitch early in the movie. And she decides to rip it up and throw it away. And he confronts her like, hey, well, what did the letter say? And it's basically like, I think you're arrogant and stupid, and I don't like you that much. Mm-hmm. Have a good day. But they're falling in love. Yeah, but it's it's like, when she says it, I kind of went, ha, that's pretty good. Yeah. Like, it's she's strong in a way that I mean, I Mitch is expect. a lot more likable. Rod Taylor is a lot more like, he's kind of a, you know, he's the the funny, I mean, I guess maybe it's part of the sexism of the era, is a guy could behave like that, and he seemed kind I of thought he, jolly. I, I thought Mitch was kind of a dope. He's really? ki- He's kind of a... Like at least your Luke Skywalker type gets to whine a little bit, and you like want to see him grow and have an arc. Mitch is just virtually the straight man. He's like um, who's who's the lead from Jaws? Not I mean the sheriff, Roy Scheider. He, he's Roy, Roy Scheider without personality to me. He's, well, I li- I mean I think in this I I would disagree somewhat in that especially the first time you meet him, he's pretending. That's fair. He's like you know kind of screwing around with her too. But the rest of the movie, it's just him saying, "Are you okay?" Well, and then okay? he's kind of becomes the hero and stuff. So you know, I like Suzanne Plachet. As Annie, the, yeah, I did too. Yeah, she's yeah. good. I always liked her, and she's you know she's fun, and she's got kind of an, you know, she's got that smoky voice, and she just seems kind of like, you know, a little sarcastic. Did you drive up from San Francisco by the Coast Road? Yes, nice drive. It's very beautiful. Is that where you met Mitch? Yes. I guess that's where everyone meets Mitch. She's like a little. Like weathered, like not yeah. looks. I don't mean her appearance. I just but mean just, like, yeah, she seems a little beaten down. Yeah, and she, I think that fits the character. I totally agree. 
And you know, by the way, I should mention um, the, the the sister Kathy. It's Veronica Cartwright, not Angela Cartwright. They were sisters in real life, but oh. Veronica Cartwright is also an alien and in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. She's in tons of stuff. You said she virtually plays the same character every movie. She, she gets... always goes through hell in these in her movies. <laughs> she gets killed in Alien, and she survives in Invasion of Body Snatchers, but it's not a happy ending. So, um, Suzanne Pluchette does die in Pluchette does die in this movie. Spoilers, yes, but yeah, well, and, oh, and yeah, it's spo- kind of a I mean. You don't see her die, but when they find her, this is where we're moving into the 60s and sort of out of like the 50s and 40s style of death is she's kind of splayed out on the porch. And it's, I mean, it you could tell it's like an ugly death. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's like kind of like uh, you knew this character and then her body's just there and you're kind of like, you made a comment. Uh, I don't. I, I promise maybe the last reference to the commentary track, but you made a comment in there where you said, you know, we watched The Graduate not that long ago and that movie feels very 60s. Uh, the birds feels 1940s. It feels real old and, and methodical. And then a shot like that comes in and you kind of go, mm-hmm. oh, like it, it actually works. The contrast right. of, of. And there's also some gore and blood in it. I yeah. mean, you know, it's it's that kind of red, you know, that old 60s red blood that doesn't look quite realistic. But there is a scene where a guy literally has had his eyes eaten out of his head and it's. There's one scene where a little girl's on her on her stomach and there's just a bird pecking at yeah. the back of her head. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's, yeah, kids are in jeopardy in this movie. It's a it's a very uh, it's a really good looking movie. Uh, outside of a few of the wonky special effects, yeah. which I don't want to spend a lot of time. No, it's, and there's there's like some matte paintings. You know, they they filmed parts of it in Bodega Bay, but a lot of it was recreated on the studio backlot, and it's hard to tell where it. Agreed. There's one shot where Melanie Griffith is walking and she's really in san francisco and she walks behind a post or something and when she comes out now they're on a studio yeah and you can not when you point it out i was like i kind of see it but it's really well but you would never notice if you didn't i mean i didn't you know there's a lot of cool stuff too like uh all right so there's a i'm gonna call it a minor attack before the school where Mm -hmm. birds flood through the house yeah 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 Uh, and it's it's chaotic and looks good it's scary i mean it's pretty scary i thought great and they show, they make a point to show the mother, who I want to talk about in a minute, picking up like broken china. Uh-huh. And, you know, she's like, do you think a bird accidentally did this? Like tell, they're trying to convince the cop that this was an attack and right. the town's still kind of in denial. They're like, ah, it's not an attack. It's just, you must have scared them. Because they're the only ones really that it's happened to at this point. Right. But a couple scenes later, she goes to visit, is it her dad or is it the guy who sells the feed? It's like, a no, it's not her dad, but it's like a, an older farmer that she knows or something. Right. And the first thing when they they go into the house and it's real creepy mm-hmm. and quiet and the camera's kind of going with us as we walk through. It's the middle of hallways. daytime, we should mention. Yeah. So most of this takes place in bright daylight. Yeah, there's almost no, the end, I guess. The ending, yeah. But, um, but they take the camera while she's like, why is this house empty? And she turns her head to the fireplace, and you see the same style of broken cup all along the fireplace or along the kitchen or whatever, wherever these cups and mugs are hung. And you're kind of like, it's just, it's a nice visual mm-hmm. cue to go, oh, <laughs> something definitely something happened here. Something bad happened Yeah, because yeah. it's, I, there's, that's nice. It's really, well, yeah. obviously, obviously Hitchcock is a good director. It's just. Yeah, well, I mean, and you know, it's, you know, different tastes. And this was, you know, I, I you know, it's, it's, it's not one of his top movies. It's, you kind of watch it for the good stuff, and you kind of let the other stuff just go, like, hey, well. Yeah, it's there's just so much dialogue. Uh, I I want to talk about that for a minute. Uh, I got the sense because you know you watch the movie, you do the research. I got the sense that Hitchcock became a little obsessed with shattering the audience's expectations, a la Ryan Johnson and The Last Jedi. 
Well, I'm sure those two directors are often compared. <laughs> now, I know what you're saying, but... Well, you know, like... I mean, Psycho, you told he definitely me, did. Yeah, but you, well, after that, though, like, Psycho's this big hit, and it's a it's it's a slasher, and it's the first toilet ever shown on film, and, you know, all, all this and stuff... And most importantly, the, the lead actress is killed halfway through, and then you're like, I don't know who the movie's about. There's so much stuff where the audience was just floored by it, where they came into The Birds with this expectation that, oh, this is going to be another Psycho. This is the next cool thing, and... He went out of his way to like say, hey, screw you guys, slow burn for 45 minutes. I'm not going to show you anything. Oh, yeah. and, and I'm not saying like it's an ineffective strategy. It's just he I think he it was in his head too much how how it was going to play to the audience relative to Psycho and relative to his previous work. Like you told me he put this cameo right away so people wouldn't worry about that. Well, he did that in a lot of his movies. Oh, he's, okay. right, he's right at the beginning. I mean, at, at a certain point, he's in the first five minutes of all his movies. Gotcha. He's at the beginning of Psycho, North by Northwest. and I just, I don't know. I, I wish watching the birds, it just should have been its own thing. That's all. But again, what do I know? What do you, I, no, I, I, I honestly don't know what you mean by its own thing. I, I think the reception and popularity of Psycho had a huge influence on how he approached the birds. I don't know. I mean, possibly. I mean, it's there. He was very, Psycho was very deliberately a low budget movie. Right. A quick low budget. Look what I can do. I can do what guys like William Castle, who were sort of Hitchcock ripoff or inspired by guys or whatever. Like Oz Perkins. But Oz Perkins, like, okay, but Oz Perkins is, Okay, William Castle was, when I say they were ripping him off, they were ripping off Psycho. Oh, sure, Quick, sure. fast, black and white movies with a crazy twist and usually some kind of a, like a hatchet murder or something like that. And Hitchcock was thinking, I can do that. But Birds is a high-budget movie. Those Oz Perkins movies are a lot more like, and I hate saying this to you, they're more like the beginning of The Birds where it's very slow and deliberate. Yeah. There's a lot more tension, but it's more, they're not fast-paced, bloody movies by any stretch sure. of imagination. Do you have a favorite scene in this movie? Um, I would say probably you know probably the scene with the crows that I mentioned. I mean, with, it's, the, with the at the, the playground, yeah, the monkey bars, and it's just a creepy scene. I mean, I like the bird attacks. The scene at the end when Melanie goes up to the attic, and by the way, Tippy Hedren went through hell. They just threw birds at her. Uh I I was frustrated with like when they're in that bird attack the the scene preceding that they're attacked in their living room I think or something and she just clutches the couch in a in a way that I found irritating. Well, but think how you would feel in a bird attack. I feel like I would get a shovel. You <laughs> think you would, but what would you really do? Yeah, You'd like this, yeah. But I'll then she goes up to the attic for no damn reason. I can't remember why she goes up the attic. It's it's like the horror movie trope where they go up the stairs to the attic. It's like, what are you doing? I know. Get out of the house. I agree. I'll agree with that. But I will say, once she gets up there, it's pretty damn effective. And uh, so I have I have two favorite scenes. Um, secretly, whenever I ask you a question, I really don't care what you say. I just can't wait to get to my. That's head. no secret. <laughs> that could not possibly be a secret. The so first off, the diner scene that we talked about earlier is cool. It, it's there's tension and it like it's the first time in the movie where it switches from like a romantic drama thing to like something. Oh man, like. And also, there's an amazing amount of liquor in the package store area of that drama. <laughs> you you said that, and I I watched it the second time. I went, it's a it's clearly just a bar. Everybody's just drinking. At one point, but there the, are children in the hysterical religious mom. Who, by the way, it's funny. The the mom is like, she's got two little blonde kids, and they're eating at this diner bar thing, you know. And she's like, can you all stop talking about the birds? It's scaring my kids. And then they cut to the kids, and the kids are filthy. They're just covered in dirt. I'm are like, they? 
Oh yeah, the, the the little boy has just got like smudges of shit all over his face, and I just I'm like, seriously, you're worried about how they're being influenced right now? Like, bathe your kid, lady. I was very mad Spoken at her. Spoken like a parent of two boys. She's like, what are you doing? Could you ask them to lower their voices, please? They're frightening the children. A whole flock of gulls nearly capsized one of my boats. Practically tore the skipper's arm off. You're scaring the kids. Keep it low. Yeah. And what he's scaring me, too. But she tells this guy, she's like, I, we need to get out of here now. I can't have my kids around this talk anymore. This is startling them. Let's leave. And this guy's like, yeah, I'll take you. She's like, well, let's go. And he's like, I haven't finished my drink. And he shows right. her like his full shot glass that or guy's, That guy is the hero of the movie. <laughs> I haven't finished They're my drink. They're clearly at a bar. Yeah. Well, it's a bar, restaurant, package store, gathering place, uh, you know. But that's a good scene. I do. I, I like most of that, um, other than the idiot bird lady for no reason but I, I i agree she's a very big plot device but i kind of like but i will say this the actress makes the most of it she's great she makes a meal of that role and then the final scene of the movie the very last scene where they step out of the house and they're just very slowly walking in the dark or it's like sort of dusk mm-hmm. and the birds are just looking at them and i think you said it where they're like we got all the time in the world yeah they're just sitting there they're not doing anything these poor humans are like out of the house creeping and the birds are just glaring at and them. you see birds when they drive off birds off to the horizon yeah I mean, there's birds everywhere and i love too when they're bringing uh melanie uh, down the stairs and the, he, she sees they're going to go out and get in the car and she just starts going, no, no, no. I don't like that. See, I like it because I think she's she's had it. Fair she's enough. All right, yeah. panicked. Yeah, okay. I mean, it seems like, you know, she's having a real reaction, not just, you know, she seems like she's had a sort of psych, psychotic break, maybe. So in that moment, Melanie is panicked. She's on the couch. She does she does that weird thing where she clutches the couch and she waves frantically. And and later on with the scene you said you liked where she's up in the attic, afterward, Mitch rescues her and he lays her on the couch and he kind of shakes her awake and she just starts like panicking. Yeah. No, I, I found it over the top and annoying, but maybe the one thing I would give it credit for is it does kind of mirror... Um, Jessica Tandy. Jessica Tandy. The mom. What's her name? And I don't know. Uh, Lydia. Ly- Lydia. Which is a great. I like that name a lot. Lydia. I know it's it's ruined by Beetlejuice, but Lydia's a Lydia's a good name. Uh, Lydia Dietz. Oh, Winona. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's your girl. That's my girl. That's your Jennifer Love Hewitt. It is my Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Jessica Tandy is that she's she seems broken and freaked out from the beginning. Like, from the moment you meet her. Yeah, she's a little, like we mentioned, she has, you know, and I'm not saying it's anything incesty or anything, but she just has sort of a little, you know, she's very clingy to Mitch. She doesn't want any women to come between her and Mitch. Like, she's worried he'll get married and leave her. That's her whole thing, right? And well, th- she says that she says that to uh, Melanie. She says, I just don't want to be alone. Right. Which, I've been there. I've, I've, my, I grew up with my grandmother, man. It was just like that. And then two... Uh, there's actually a conversation between Annie and Melanie where they walk the audience through that. They explain like, well, now that so so Annie is Mitch's ex, right? Right. The school teacher's Annie and um, Mitch's ex, and now she's great friends with the mother. You know, her attitude nearly drove me crazy. When I got back to San Francisco, I spent days trying to figure out exactly what I'd done to displease her. What had you done? Nothing. I simply existed. So what's the answer? Jealous woman, right? Clinging, possessive mother? Wrong. With all due respect to Oedipus, I don't think that was the case. Then she kind of walks through how it's not that she was jealous, she just didn't want to be abandoned. Right, right, right. And 
Melanie is is sort of I don't know, my stand in where she's like, well, that's dumb. Well, <laughs> so, but I mean, but I I will say this. I think I mean, and maybe it's just a screenwriter's crutch, but maybe it's actual. Is that people? You know, they don't always have a logical reason for why they behave. Sometimes people just behave, you know, how emotionally. I wonder if Annie is better friends with with Lydia now because she's no longer a threat to take Mitch right. away. I right. mean, now Lydia, now Lydia sees her as just this woman. She's not going to take her Mitch. So, hey, I can be your pal. And, and Annie and does that. say, too, like, no, we, we did get along. It was just tense. Yeah. Um, she was afraid. She, so this is, the, this is a good line. Um, Annie says she was afraid I was going to take her son. And Melanie says... Maybe somebody should have told her she was going to gain a daughter. Right. And Annie goes, she already has a daughter. She doesn't need that. <laughs> and that I was like, damn. Like, I was like, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. And Kathy. She has although, a little Veronica. Well, yeah. Although that's weird, again, because she's, she's way, very young. She's you way too young. It's when did, yeah. When? Did she have uh, Kathy at like 50 years old? She must have. Seriously. Do you want to have a kid? You're 51? 51, I have a 14-year-old. 52, and I have a 14-year-old. Would you like to have a new kid now? Like, just start that, like a Dave Letterman kind of thing? Every so often, well, let me just be honest. I don't think Dave was getting up changing diapers, you know. I mean, (laughs) you know, you see, like, a picture of your kid as a baby, and you're like, oh, I wish they were that little again. But when you think about the reality of it, it's like, no, I'm glad she can get up by herself. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, one more thing about Jessica Tandy, who plays Lydia, is... um, She's probably best known to modern audience, well, relatively modern audience. This is an old movie at this point, but uh, she was Miss Daisy in Driving Miss Daisy. And she was also in Cocoon. She was married to an actor for years named Hume Cronin, who is in another Hitchcock movie called Shadow of a Doubt that takes place um, just up the road in Santa Santa Rosa, California, which is mentioned in The Birds as being a, not far from Bodega Bay. So it all ties together in the Hitchcock universe. Acting doesn't always seem like a meritocracy. It's not a meritocracy <laughs> Sometimes at it all. seems like who you know. Well, no, I'm not saying that has anything to do with it. They were both like stage actors in their movie. Sure. And by the way, Shadow of a Doubt is a better movie than The Birds. Um, Jessica Tandy is supposed to be roughly 50 in this movie. And she's supposed to be roughly 200 years old in Driving Miss Daisy? Well, she is 200. Well, they, they came out 30 years later. <laughs> That's what I'm so. saying. 94, right? Um, no, like 90, I think. It won, it won Best Picture over something it wasn't supposed it to. It won Best Picture over Do the Right Thing, which is a movie about sort of, you know, life in Brooklyn among African-American communities and how they interact with the white communities. And the movie that won was a movie about Morgan Freeman playing a chauffeur to an old white woman. <laughs> Make it, made, a, made a good statement. What was the statement? <laughs> uh, the soundtrack of this movie doesn't exist. It does not exist. It's all electronic birds. I mean, it's bird sounds, but created electronically, and you know, the screeching and that. And um, they I, still they still gave um, Bernie Herman Herman. Um, they Bernard they Herman. yeah no no they they still gave Herman like a sound editing. Yeah, I think he like advised on it because he had done Hitchcock's. He did Psycho. He did Vertigo. He did North by Northwest. He also did Citizen Kane and Taxi Driver. I mean, you know, he's the legendary film composer. What What is the logic of not having a soundtrack? I think, uh, you know, I just think Hitchcock thought it worked better without. I mean, some of those scenes, like the scene, I keep coming back to the scene with the crows on the monkey bars, but I don't really see where music building would improve that. Yeah. I mean, uh, the only thing I could think of is that the, because there's such a tonal shift midway through, 
you use the score to sort of let the audience know how they're supposed to but feel. But sometimes, I, and I'll, I mean, some, I have nothing against a good score, but I will say this. I give the movie credit for not doing that bit of hand-holding with the audience. Okay. Now, what's the irony is that Hitchcock originally wanted the shower scene in Psycho to not have a score. And Herman said, let I, me show you I this. I got an idea, and, yeah. And of course, it's, you know. It's impossible to imagine that without those violins. How about the special effects? Now, that's this might be a good time to to pull into that. We there's the the big notable shots are most of the broad attacks, right? Right. Um, what what went into those? How- well, they you know it's it they used a um, it's not a green screen, although Hitchcock loves his green screens <laughs> like his, his, his rear, rear projection. projection. Yeah, but this was developed actually with um, the help of Disney animators. They had a, a technique of filming with a like a white light and a yellow light so they could perfectly separate it's a the sodium images. vapor or something right and so i mean there were there were there were those like there's a there's a classic shot that doesn't quite work now but it's kind of nice for its ambition where you have the you're seeing it from the bird's eye view and you see the town starting it's it's and when the gas station explosion we mentioned and you can see the whole town you can see the flames and you can see all this and you're way up high with the seagulls those effects haven't aged quite so well. And it's mostly the fact that some of them kind of blend into the... It's There's like some bleed and the, the blacks don't quite work right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, a lot the other effects were, you know, there were, there were real birds. There were model birds. There were sort of not robot birds, but mechanical birds. And then for one scene, when the birds are pecking their way through the doors, they put fake bird heads on hammers and the crew pounded. <laughs> so they would look like the beaks were pounding through the door. Uh, you told me that ahead of time. So when I saw it, it was clear. I know. But if you didn't, I, I mean, I, know, I didn't I know. know it. I'd read it and I never yeah. noticed that. I mean, I think the effects work pretty well. There's some, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rear screen projection stuff that looks pretty hokey now, but I think audiences accepted it back then. And and I think it's impossible. I, I the only movie I'm ever going to really hold effects against are the movies who go out of their way to let you know, like we we change the state of of right like like Phantom Menace and Attack Attack of the Clones Ugh. is maybe the worst looking movie I've ever seen. It's it, bad. It's I mean, shocking how bad it is. And I mean, maybe this is just my prejudice. Older movies, I think bad CGI ages way more poorly than bad physical effects. Because bad physical effects, even when you can tell they're fake, there's a certain charm and a certain handcraftedness to them. You know, now now a movie like Jurassic Park, which is several years older than Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones, that looks still good, I think. Mostly because parts of it are... Like the T Rex is not CGI; it's yeah. an actual effect. It's and an actual T Rex. It's well, but it's a lot. Parts of that are a life size. Oh, that was a T-Rex. good joke. Come on, it wasn't that good. Billy. That was a pretty good joke. Yeah, it was okay. Come on, but I mean, it's all how you use the effects. And Hitchcock used all different kinds. This is definitely his most effects heavy movie. It's hard to think of another one. I want you to go as quietly as possible. Do not make a sound until I tell you to run. Then run as quickly as you can. Now, does everybody understand? All right, John, you lead the way. I, I read a Hollywood, THR, Hollywood Reporter uh, review that just gushed. I was kind of annoyed. Um, everything, the the worst criticism he gave was, I don't even remember, somebody, I think he gave um, Annie. He was like, Annie's fine. I like <laughs> I Annie. I like Annie too. I thought she was really good. Uh, but it seemed like uh, you read mixed reviews, but all I seemed to find was positive reviews of this movie. Yeah, I mean, and at this point, Hitchcock, you know, he's coming off 
Psycho, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Rear Wind. I mean, these are huge, critically acclaimed and very popular movies. You know, it's like Spielberg. You hardly see a bad review for a Spielberg movie, whether it's mediocre or not. Right. And Hitchcock was definitely that. You know, he was he was that kind of guy. He was a director who, when you went to see a movie like this, you weren't going to see it because it had Melanie Griffith. You weren't going to see it because it had Rod Taylor. You weren't even going to see it because it had birds attacking. You were going to see it because it was the new Alfred Hitchcock movie. I saw the Washington Post has this quote, and this this is, to be fair, just right on the Wikipedia. But he says, I haven't seen this kind of merriment since King Kong toppled the Empire State Building. I can pick out about four different things wrong with that. And I love King Kong. One, it's not merry. Two, King Kong did not topple the Empire State Building. He fell off it and died. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, if you're going to a movie and you see all these effects and you're like, it's, this is cool. Even if, the, you know, yeah, even exactly. if it's a bleak movie. I remember going to see Phantom Menace with a friend of mine, and afterwards you could see him desperately trying to convince himself that it was a good movie. <laughs> he wanted to like it so bad. So I have two more points of, of interest for you. One, I want to talk maybe a little bit about the um, the Tippi-Hedron controversy. Okay, that's uh, good. Yeah, we should talk a little bit about that. So uh, there was a controversy in relation to the nature of Hitchcock and Hedron. They had a relationship during The Birds. Um, she she maintained that there were several incidents. I'm, re- I'm just reading this off the Wikipedia. Right where Hitchcock acted inappropriately toward her. Um, the cast and crew described him as obsessive. Yes, Hitchcock was he was a weird guy. I mean, and he... There was actually a whole movie, uh, HBO movie, about this specifically, about this thing with Tippi Hedren and Hitchcock. You know, like I said, he had been... You know, he had been somewhat obsessed with Grace Kelly, and she left him to go be the princess of Monaco, so when he got Tippi Hedren in, you know, and she's a new, you know, this is her first job and Hitchcock gave it to her, the biggest director in the world. He gives her this job. I'm sure she felt awkward and Hitchcock could be a little yeah, handsy. That's, or, that's what it says. She, you know, that she, a lot of hands on her. It was very sexual very in nature. Sexual, yeah. And I mean, you know, and she, you know, she, because she was a trooper and because again, this was her first acting role, you know, she put up with a lot that probably well that she definitely shouldn't have had to like well you know she thought it was gonna be all mechanical birds when she was attacked in the attic and she arrived on set and she could see that the attic room set was surrounded by a cage and a stagehand said like yeah it's just gonna be live birds they're gonna pin them to you and throw them at you good luck yeah and basically good luck yeah so what a nightmare and you know she's in hitchcock's next movie marnie which is um she stars with Sean Connery, and it's not a. This one's much more of a straight drama about a woman and crime and sort of her own sexual hangups and this and that. And okay. after you know, Hitch, there's a lot of. She said that you know maybe Hitchcock, you know, prevented her from getting a lot of work that she should have gotten. You know, she didn't have the career that you would think maybe she had. Yeah, she had a big long, like a long term, ten year, seven right. year whatever your contract um yeah he signed her for seven years is it seven? and then okay. and he only put her in two movies right so which that's her prime it's just gone yeah. right and uh the i'm reading here it's i started to read on the air i know that's not helpful but uh there was some evidence or at least some uh, innuendo that those real birds were brought in as revenge yeah i mean and who knows yeah who knows uh, with that but i mean it's you know, it was weird. And she didn't discuss any of this a while ago, which certainly isn't saying that she's lying now. I just think maybe she didn't feel comfortable bringing it Yeah, she it waited until he was dead, and yeah. that makes perfect sense. And and it kind of brings up the point, like, you know, when you, you hear these allegations all the time now, and people are, 
real quick to say believe women get on sure and th- they're right like yeah oh completely it's so it's you just you hear about all this and you want to i i don't know how to frame it as a fan as a movie fan exactly well yeah. i mean it's difficult it's like how do you watch a hitchcock movie how do you watch a movie like chinatown right with polanski i or, mean or once upon a time in hollywood once you know time, yeah i mean I, yeah it's just like i know you love that movie i bring that up kind of on purpose to provoke you you know but it's it seems like everybody's an asshole. Well, I mean, and a lot of, you know, to get ahead, a lot of times you have, to, I'm not saying you, it's right to be an asshole, but a lot of people who are assholes get ahead. Yeah. yeah so, I, I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say. It's tricky because you can't just say, I'm not watching anything. Yeah. Like, just I so only want to watch movies by good people. All I'm going to watch is the Today Show because that Matt Lauer, he'll never do anything oh, untoward. <laughs> Jesus. You know, I used didn't to, Roker do something too? No, I think Roker's clean. Oh, I used okay. to be a big fan, in all seriousness, though, of Charlie Rose because he had this great uh, interview show. He interviewed Quentin on one that I was. It's on like a bonus on the Pulp Fiction DVD. Oh man, Rose had a had a reckoning, didn't he? He's all these guys. Yeah, he did. I read. I read about Rose. He's that guy is messed up. Yeah, he's. I mean, it's. I can't. This he used to. You know, he'd wander out naked, and there's these interns and. What are interns going to do? But you not both. Well, I mean, maybe you were a little young, but I grew up in the Clinton era, and I mean, we all loved Bill Clinton, and we're all and everything we did. You know, everyone jumped behind this defense. Every Democrat was. Well, it was consensual. He's the president. She's an intern. Yeah. How consensual is yeah, it really? Uh, and maybe we can maybe we can leave this topic with that. But yeah, it's it's hard. To, yeah, of course, it is. I mean, and it's complicated, and I guess you have you have to be the one to decide what you're going to watch, how you're going to relate that to the people who make it. Because if you cut out all entertainment that somebody with a tricky past created, yeah, it's going to be slim. I mean, and this isn't excusing that behavior. Of, yeah, of course I'm just not. saying of you have not. to decide how you're going to deal with it. Do you have any final thoughts on this particular movie? Um, I mean, I would recommend it. Go in knowing that there are slow parts, but I would recommend it as something re- like if you want to see Hitchcock do like a big budget disaster kind of movie, this is what he did with it. Yeah. It's I, very different than most of his other movies. I was thinking about this. When is the next time you or I might watch this movie? I don't know. I mean, I watched it a couple times because we watched it with Allie. Is there a chance that this is the last time you've ever seen The Birds? It's it's possible. I think it might be. Is what I'm what I'm thinking too. I mean, I have so many movies to watch. Plus, I, I have to rewatch the entire run of Kojak. Again. <laughs> I, God damn it, Will! I asked Will to watch Breaking Bad, and his answer was, "I can't. I'm watching Kojak." And I was like, "What's Kojak?" He's like, "Oh, it's this detective show that came out in the, in the 70s. 70s." It's great. I was like, "You're it's 50 years old." And he's like, "Oh yeah." I watched an episode of it this morning. Oh my god! And I my only it. my. <laughs> The only good thing about Kojak was that you and Kevin Haas were going to start a show called Kojak in it. Kojak it was just going to be a podcast. But I almost thought for the title like that, I should really do it solo. <laughs> <laughs> it's got Co right in the title. I know, but it's also got Jack in it right yeah. in the title. <laughs> I, uh, I, I thought this movie was fine. I didn't hate it in the way that I thought I might hate it, but it, it is it is pretty... You really got to hang in there. It's, this is the first time since we've brought the podcast back where I felt like this was homework. Where I felt like I'm doing a job, I got to get this out. I appreciate uh, you doing your homework. Yeah, we'll watch another Hitchcock down the road a little, maybe yeah. Rear Window. Maybe I and I I actually have seen that kind of recently, but we are because because we're late by this 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 episode is going to come out on Monday, October 28th, which means technically we're at the end of Spooky October. Spooky October. But 
because I did all the prep work, we are still going to do our final October right. movie. It, we'll just do it in November. And you want to tell us about that Con- movie? Continuing with our sort of animal, th- <laughs> vaguely animal theme. Oh, the, the entire run of the show has right. been animal runs. Jaws, since- the fly, the birds. And now we'll uh, do something from the, the, the mammal part of the kingdom. <laughs> we'll do cat people. Cat people. Which is uh, the 1942 version, not oh, the 80s remake. 1942. I, I watched the 80s remake. Oh, really? Tell me one thing about that movie. I, did, I, did <laughs> I know you didn't. It's got a synth score. It does have a synth score and it has a David Bowie song in it. But uh, There's a lot of sport coats with no ties underneath. <laughs> a lot of padded shoulders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, this is 1942 version. Uh, producer Val Luton. Um, beloved by some horror fans, including me, but I'll be very curious to see how it appeals or doesn't appeal to a modern sensibility. And with that, you can find our show on Twitter at Out of Theaters. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, we do try to make an effort to interact with people, with listeners, with fans. Um, even if you're just going to shit talk me in the iTunes reviews, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I can take it. Uh, you can find Will on Twitter at Will Piper. Uh-huh. You can find me at Billy Culpa. Yeah. And with that, we're going to watch Cat People next week. We'll that's miss right. you all. Most of all.